The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. And for our workers, the rest of us, let's take our Bibles here this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter number 4. Now we have a guest popping in tonight for our service. I'd love to encourage you to come on back. I know the temptation is, well, I don't want to get back in my car and uh, I'll be feeling the exact same thing. But uh, we'll meet together this evening. Um, we're looking at an important passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians that deals with the Christian work ethic as well as the coming of the Lord. And how does that relate together? Uh, by the way, the Bible says we're to occupy until He comes. And that word occupy simply means do my business. Just do what I need you to do right up until the time that Jesus calls us home. And so we're going to explore, explore both those facets here this, this evening at 5 o'clock. We also have a representative here from uh, the uh, New Testament Association of Independent Baptist Churches. Uh, this group was used of the Lord two years ago as we were about to come into this facility as an umbrella group that would allow us to have uh, really our 501c3 status. And that was very important because um, just the ownership group was, was needing that. It's, it's, a, it's um, a process that takes quite a bit of time. And uh, we spoke to the folks there in, uh, in Colorado, and uh, God just worked in a marvelous way to allow us to be uh, fast-tracked, to be a part of that group so that we could move forward as far as this property is concerned. And, and uh, they would just like to recognize us uh, this evening. So I want to encourage you to be back at that 5 o'clock time as we look at that important passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter number 4. And we are breaking really down the entire book of Ephesians, the first two chapters uh, really dealing with the wealth. Uh, the wealth that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then really transitioning actually into the third chapter. And then chapter number four, where we began last Sunday, we're really focusing on the walk of the believer. And let me tell you something. When you understand our wealth in the Lord Jesus Christ and all that I have because I'm saved, we recognize now that we are to walk worthy of the calling, the vocation thereby where we are called. And, and so the first three chapters allows us to see all that I have in Jesus. And now in chapter number four, it's, boy, let's live up to what we are. Let's live up to our identity in Christ. And so we began looking at this walk and what a worthy walk is all about. Both on the Godward side, the Bible says we're to walk with God. Our illustration last week was Enoch. Enoch walked with God. But we also need to walk here among men. And God's desiring that we would let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. So we have a Godward walk, and that needs to be consistent with our outward walk our walk before other individuals. So we looked at what this worthy walk is all about, and we saw that it was a walk in good works. Ephesians chapter number 2, we went back and saw that it's by grace you're saved, uh, by grace through faith, it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, 
lest any man should boast. Our works don't have anything to do with our salvation. But verse number 10 taught us, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So although I'm not saved by my work, once I'm saved, God does that transforming work in my life so that I can walk worthy. And to walk worthy is to walk in good works. Titus 2.14 says we're to be zealous of good works. We ought to have a zeal for it, an excitement for it, a desire here to let God use us to impact other people's lives through uh, good works. We also saw the walk of holiness. As in chapter number 4, the admonition is put on, put off. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. You know, there ought to be a difference in your walk than the walk of the unsaved folks that you hang around with, that you work with, that you're uh, neighbors to. They walk a different walk. God said, there's certain things that I have to now in my new walk, I have to put off and there's other things that God wants me to put on. And this is a repeating theme through many of the epistles of uh, Paul. And so we see that a worthy walk is a walk in good works, it's a walk in holiness, but it's also a walk in love. Chapter 5, verse number 2 of Ephesians, Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. Chapter number 4 deals with the reality that we're to speak the truth in love, verse 15. And God tells us later on uh, that we are, uh, as God's children here, uh, needing to demonstrate that love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, a worthy walk is a walk in good works. It's a walk in holiness. It's a walk in love. It's a walk in light, chapter 5, verse 8. Walk in the light. Uh, It's to walk circumspectly, walk carefully, walk exactly. Uh, Be careful as we walk this road that we're walking where God wants us to walk. And so that was the introduction here really to what it means to have the right kind of walk. Today we're going into two principles. We'll take the first one. That's half your notes this morning we'll cover. The other half will be next Sunday. But I want us to focus on really, first of all, the call to unity and then the diversity of God's church in the realm of unity. You know, you can be unified in heart and spirit and yet be very different individually. Uh, And uh, next Sunday, we're going to look at that distinctiveness that God lays out or the diversity that God lays out. First of all, in the gifts that he gives, that's going to be found here in Ephesians 4. You know, he gives different gifts to different believers, and the ascension gifts are mentioned. Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 has a wonderful list of these gifts that we're going to look at next Sunday. We're going to see the diversity of the guides or the, the helpers in the church. He gave some apostles and prophets and teachers, evangelists. Uh, he uh, gave uh, uh, the poimane, uh, the shepherd, the under-shepherd. And, and the d- diversity here in the leadership that God gives to the church. We're going to look at that. And uh, then really the diversity as uh, we seek to grow and how every joint supplies, every Part of the body is needed. The diversity of every little part. Again, focusing on 1 Corinthians 12 to see 
Uh, the eye, uh, is, is the eye going to say that, listen, it's only about the eye, or is the eye going to uh, recognize that it needs the toe, it needs the, the hand, it needs the ear? Uh, we're all different in the body, but we're all needed. So diversity in the, in the church, we're going to look at that, but first we need to look at the unity and I want you to listen carefully, and I'm, I'm praying right now that God will give me uh, just uh, uh, that spirit of speak the truth in love, because you're going to hear some truth today that the world is trying to squash. The world has no interest in the truth, the simple unvarnished truth of the Word of God to be proclaimed in so many areas of life. And yet the Bible still tells us we, we are to preach the truth. Uh, we're to preach the word. We are to declare the truth, believe the truth, live the truth. It is the truth of God's word that is paramount. And I want us to see this morning here that this unity uh, revolves around this truth. So in your notes this morning, if you're jotting down a few thoughts, the first point and the main point and the only point uh, major heading is our unity as we find it here in Ephesians, uh, and uh, uh, it's that which God has called the church uh, to, uh, to unify together. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I ask now that you just help me. Uh, thank you for each one that has come out of the heat and gotten into their cars and driven here to your house, and Lord, have fellowship together, enjoyed uh, just the, the praising of your name through song. Thank you for the time of prayer for our country. Thank you for the privilege to give back to you. And now, Lord, we just ask during these moments of opening up your word that, God, you would truly help me to say all that you need to be said and help me not to say anything that you would not have me to say. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just take control, not only of my mind, but my tongue. And God, that we would truly demonstrate that verse, speaking the truth in love. And I pray, God, that we would recognize uh, the uh, wonderful unity that we have in you. I ask your help now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this morning as we look at unity, uh, we have several subpoints under that main heading of unity. And I want to begin here in Ephesians by looking at letter A, unity in God's divine purpose. Unity in God's divine purpose. Back in Ephesians chapter number 1, we have the introducing of the wonderful salvation that God provides for those who through faith would simply receive this gift of grace. Ephesians 1, Ephesians chapter number 2 really lay down before us the realization that we are unified because of this God-directed divine purpose. And I, I want you to go back to Ephesians chapter number 1 just to see it. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all involved in the salvation of mankind. And I'm just going to call it what Jude calls it in Jude 1, verse number 3, the common salvation. Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Can I tell you something? There's not uh, 31 different flavors when it comes to salvation. 
There's not a many, many different paths and many, many different doors. It's not a mountain that has all of these trails and you just pick one. You pick the Buddha trail or you pick the uh, Hindu trail or you pick the Baptist trail or the Catholic trail or the Luther trail. Just pick one. And as long as you pick one, everything's going to be all right. And, and, and you know, the story goes, they, they all will get to the same place ultimately. Can I tell you that the Bible talks about a common salvation? The Bible lays out before us the reality that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's not a lot of different faiths. There's not a lot of different ways. And yet that's what's being uh, pushed on this generation. Young people are being confused as to what does God say, what doesn't God say. I can tell you one thing that God does say, and that is that there is a common salvation, and that common salvation is through one means, and that is the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in payment for the sin of the world. And that he died for us and that he was buried for us and that he rose again. And this common salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the only way. He's the truth. He's the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. And so the common purpose for the church is to get on board with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and recognize that their work here in Ephesians chapter 1 was the salvation of mankind. God the Father was active. Ephesians 1, uh, the Bible tells us in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, it's the Father that commissioned the Son to come to this world to become my substitute and your substitute. That perfect, spotless Lamb of God that God the Father sent. Read John chapter 17 and Jesus, as he's praying to God the Father, said, listen, I've finished. I've finished what you needed for me to finish. I'm 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 done. I'm looking forward to being back here with the Father at the right hand. And so we recognize in our text here this morning that God unifies us through this purpose. And this purpose is the gospel and getting it out. God the Father provided the Son. Jesus Christ paid the price. Look what Ephesians 1 tells us here. End of verse number 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in Jesus. Verse 7, in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Aren't you glad you have your sins forgiven this morning? I don't have to go to a priest this morning to be absolved of my sin. I can come directly here uh, through Jesus Christ, the one and only mediator between God and man. I don't have to go through a man. I come to God through Jesus. And that is that one common faith. And it's the gospel. It centers on Jesus Christ. And God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved. The Holy Spirit seals there in verse 13 of Ephesians 1. With the Holy Spirit of promise. And by the way, it's the Holy Spirit that draws men to God. It's the Holy Spirit that awakens us to the reality that we're sinners in need of a Savior. The Holy Spirit's active. 
The Holy Spirit desires to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. See, that's the Holy Spirit's work. See, in a day and age, we're trying to dumb down the Bible so that there is no real, uh, nothing is a sin anymore. Everything is relative. Everything is whatever you think it is. And yet my Bible declares clearly that no God is the one that sets the parameters for what is right and what is wrong and what is sin before Him. It's not up to me to define sin. God does a good job of it. I just have to believe what God says in His Word. And yet we even have quote-unquote evangelical churches today that are twisting the Word of God and, and, and taking sin and, and pushing it here underneath the carpet. And God is desiring for us to recognize that really that unifying thought is the gospel and the need for through the power of the Holy Spirit the gospel to go forward and salvation, all oh, that to be offered to all men. What a wonderful God we have and what a wonderful offer. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. What, what a blessing today to know that God gifts eternal life to those that would simply receive His dear Son. So our unity begins when we understand the purpose of God. And that was from Genesis chapter 3, the moment that we fell as humanity. The moment that we... Uh, uh, rejected the word of God and accepted the word of Satan. The moment here mankind uh, rejected God's marvelous plan and purpose, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death was passed upon all men for all have sinned. God has from that moment been seeking to reconcile a fallen race with a holy God. And that is the work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and it's the work of the church. And God calls us to it. And folks, what ought to unify us is the fellowship of the gospel. What ought to unify us as a church is to realize that really that is why we're here. And when God no longer needs the church to be here to dispense the gospel, we're going to be with the Lord forever in the air. We're going to look at that tonight. And it'll be wonderful. But in the meantime, let's, let's join arms together and let's walk here where God would have us to walk in His purpose and plan in doing our very best to get the gospel out to those that need to hear. We have tracks that are available. We're going to have some opportunities where we're going to be able to go out together as a church family. You'll hear about more about that in the fall. And we've got some folks that right now are ready to, to, to just go on out and try to uh, just share the gospel with people all around them. Uh, our, our relatives, those that we know, those that are closest to us, and, and strangers, everybody needs to hear the gospel. So what ought to unify us? First of all, the purpose of God. That's what ought to unify us. And oh, that God would help us to see the importance of God's working in this area of salvation. I'm going to share just a couple of verses on what Jude said was that common salvation. 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that, Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners 
of whom I am chief. You know, if God can save the chiefest of sinners, he can save you. Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, he had people murdered. And and although he acknowledged that he was the chief of sinners, God's grace is greater than our sin. And oh, that we would even this morning recognize that in spite of the vastness of our sin against God, you can't do penance by attending church. You can't do penance by giving something in the offering. It's only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that can wash your sins away. Have you come to Jesus? Have you received Him alone? The Bible testifies in Acts 20, verse 21, testifying both to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's really what needs to take place in every single person's life. A repentance simply means it's a turning around. What does the Bible declare here? Repentance is toward God. It's toward God's one and only plan. It's toward God's one and only Son. And that precious blood that was spilt for us That's God's purpose. And God here says that what we need to get involved in is sharing this good news so that we might see others uh, have this repentance or this turning. Uh, What does the scripture say? Turning to God, repentance to God, and faith, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I'm turning from something, the object of my faith, what I'm trusting in, but I'm turning now to Jesus and placing my entire faith in Him. Hebrews 6.1 clarifies, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. There, we get an understanding what we're to repent from. What am I turning from? My dead works. What am I turning to? Repentance toward God. I'm recognizing that all the things that I was trusting in to try to appease a holy God. They're dead. They're without life. They do not bring eternal life. And I had to turn from that and turn to Jesus. Has that taken place in your life? Has there been a moment in time when you have turned from whatever you're trusting in? Some of you may be hanging on to a baptismal experience or maybe just an experience. Some of you may be hanging on to a little ditty of a prayer that you prayed one time. Uh, maybe you are trusting here in, in some way in yourself, in your own uh, religiosity, your own goodness. The very fact that you've been a good son or good daughter or that uh, you've tried to uh, be a good employee, good employer, good mom, good dad. And you think somehow that that is enough to earn a place in heaven. The Bible talks nothing of earning a place in heaven. It talks exclusively about a free gift that you receive by faith. My friend, you're on the wrong path if you think the path of good works is going to get you to heaven. You've got to recognize that Jesus is the only way. He is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. And all oh, that God would help us. The Thessalonians understood that, First Thessalonians chapter 1. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols. You see it? Their repentance was, I'm trusting in idols. 
And now they realize that those idols are deaf and they're dumb and they can't speak and they can't see. And they turn from those idols where? To God alone. Trusting in God. And this we find over and over again in the word of God. Letter A, unity in God's divine purpose. Letter B, unity of a diverse people. Oh, I love this. Would you listen carefully this morning? Aren't you glad that God's love is extended to the whole world? Every people, every nation, every color, every tongue. For God so loved the world. You know, true children of God through the ages have recognized that the Bible is very clear where the gospel breaks down walls. It doesn't build walls. In Jesus Christ, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians 2 tells us, as you look at verse number 12, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. He's referring to Gentiles. And in the book of Ephesians, whenever Paul specifically says, ye... He's referring to Gentiles that now have come to Christ and are a part of this church. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus ye, who were sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Again, a picture there of the court of the Gentiles there at the temple of Jerusalem and the fact that uh, Jewish proselytes that were Gentiles in birth, they could only go so far. And there was this middle wall of partition that separated them. But can I tell you something? In Jesus Christ, those walls are broken down. And now we have people of every tongue and nation that are a part of the family of God. And we as God's people ought to be the most inclusive when it comes to everybody that comes to know Jesus Christ. They're welcome. You know, there is no distinction here. It doesn't matter uh, what your last name is or what country you were born in. The reality is, in Jesus Christ, we're all a part of the same family. And that is declared in the book. And that's that unifying principle. The gospel unifies us in purpose. But as a people, God says here that we are unified. There's a breaking down of that middle wall, and we thank God for it. Go back with me to Acts chapter number 13. This will bless your heart. Acts chapter number 13. I know some people get all wound up, uh, especially in the day and age with the racism and all that's being purported and and uh, these lives matter, and those lives don't matter, and maybe my life matters more than your life. And I mean, it's a mess, isn't it? Aren't you glad that we recognize that, you know, uh, that, that little song I learned in Sunday school, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are what? Precious. I'm glad that's, that's how I got indoctrinated. <laughs> I'm glad that's what I learned from the time I was, you know, just at... at uh, at uh, my mom's knee. Why? Because that's a Bible principle. Uh, Racism has no part in the church of God. 
God here over and over again. And, and these supposed uh, white supremacists in our nation that somehow cloak their heresy in the word of God, they're not Christians. I don't care what the world calls them. They're not believers. Because if they had an inkling of what the Bible said, they could not be what they proposed to be. In any clear reading of the scripture, they would have to see that that's false. That's not true. That's not the principle. That's not what God desires in Revelation. Jesus says that there's going to be folks from every tongue and and, and people and nation bowing down before the Lord. There's going to be people that are saved from every kind of background. And Crown Point Baptist Church is going to take a bold stand for the reality that we are all for Jesus Christ. And this church is going to be made up of all kinds of people that have found Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they're welcome. And they're welcome. Notice in the church at Antioch how they were welcome. This is known as that first Gentile church. You know, the churches early on were primarily Jewish in nature. And uh, we see that the first churches were all in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. And so many of these churches were predominantly Jewish Christians, right? But now we're getting to Antioch, and this is up in Syria. And what does the Bible declare about this church? Look at Acts chapter uh, 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that were at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas. We know Barnabas. And then Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. I want to reference the fact that these were the leaders in this church. I want, you to, I want to point you to verse number 1 where it says that they were certain prophets and teachers. I want you to understand today that in one of the earliest churches, in the first church where you had both Jews and Gentiles side by side, they had leadership, and the skin color didn't make any difference. Here the Bible talks about this Simeon that was called Niger, just really from the, from the Latin, the word simply means black. That's all it means. It just means that This individual here, God gave him, and by the way, we don't choose the the, the rapper God gives us. Amen? It's just what we are. It's not better than any other rapper. All right? It it is just uh, uh, whatever, the melatonin. I don't know what it means that, 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 you know, some skin's darker and others is lighter. It doesn't matter. What matters is that in the church of the living God, we're colorblind. You don't elevate one over another. It's just nonsense. Here the scripture tells us that one of these prophets, one of these teachers, it was Simeon. Maybe it was that Simeon that carried the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure. But here the Bible declares that. And then look at Lucius of Cyrene. You know where that city is? Libya, northern Africa. Folks, these are people that are coming from all over the world, different ethnic backgrounds. They're all in the mix. And some of them are leaders. What does that tell you? That tells you here that in the church of the living God, that the spirit of the age or the spirit of divisiveness, and I believe it comes from the pit of hell, this hatred, this mantra of hate toward one person because of the color of their skin is 
hellish. And it's not found in the Bible. It's not found in God's word. Oh, that we would see that there's a unifying principle in the book of Acts. What do I do first? Oh, I unify around the purpose of God, the gospel. Everybody needs a gospel. And we can share the gospel. But it's also unifying of different diverse people where God is desiring for us to see, oh, anybody can get saved. Go to Colossians 3 for just a moment. Verse number 11 is a great verse. It talks here uh, about these that uh, would come to know Jesus as Savior. Where there is neither... uh, Let me back it up here. Uh, The putting on and putting off. We have that from Ephesians. He addresses it here to the church at Colossae. I'm going to go back to verse 8. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, or free, but Christ is all and in all. It's wonderful. Now, there's barbarians, and then there's the worst of the barbarians, and that's that word there for Scythians. Uh, this uh, uh, actually is the wildest of the barbarians, and historically, uh, it places uh, some folks that were from an area in what's today modern-day Russia. And what, what the Apostle Paul is, he's just simply saying, listen, it doesn't matter what area of the world you come from. It doesn't matter how you were brought up. It doesn't matter here uh, what you were told to be truth in Jesus Christ. None of that matters. Why? Because we're new. We're new. Uh, And because of this new life, I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm putting off certain things. I'm putting on the right things. Listen, if you were raised in an environment where where you were filled in your head with racism, uh, can I tell you something? That that is something that, you know, in in culture, in neighborhoods, when I grew up, I grew up in the inner city of Milwaukee. I really never had a problem with people of other colors because I think I was the odd color uh, in my neighborhood. All right, that's just the way it was. Uh, I, I was the, the token Caucasian, all right? And, uh, and, you know, I had friends of all different backgrounds. And, 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 and it was uh, not an issue as a child. You know, that behavior is learned. It's not something naturally in children. You have to learn how to hate somebody just because of how they look. And not a, not a child thing. A child thing is, man, we're just having fun. Oh, this is just great. Uh, you know, and, and yet we see that as you grow a little older, then you have pressure on, and some of that comes from parents that are ignorant or grandparents that are ignorant. And the reality is, if you're a Christian, you know, that's something you've got to put off. You've got to say, it, it has no part in our family. We're just not living there. And, and we're going to have certain things that we're going to put on, all right? And it doesn't matter. The admonition after verse number 11, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. That's what I put on. 
And again, it has nothing to do with my skin color. So what unifies? Number one, a purpose. And the purpose is the salvation of mankind, declaring the gospel, presenting to them God's one and only way. The people, the unity that we have and the, the diverse people that make up the church of the living God. It's wonderful. Some have described it as a mosaic. It's beautiful. And I tell you what, as folks come into this congregation, and I know Simi Valley is kind of tilted one way as far as ethnic background, which is great, but let's reach everybody. Let's recognize that everybody needs the Lord. And oh, what God could do as we have that understanding. Number three, and I won't labor on this one because I want to get to four, but unity is a directed plea, letter C. It's a directed plea. Ephesians chapter number 3 talks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. By the way, there's natural unity when we're filled with the Spirit of God. And God says endeavor to keep it. It doesn't say get it. We have it. We have it uh, because we're in Christ Jesus. We have it because the Holy Spirit of God fills us. But we have to endeavor to keep it. That means you just got to work at it. We got to work at it. And all that God would help us as we seek to just uh, work at it. Unity in a directed plea. And that is that we want the, by the way, that's a capital S. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And He is the one that can allow us to have that kind of unity in His church. The Holy Spirit of God. If I'm filled with the Spirit and you're filled with the Spirit, guess what? We're in one accord. That's what the early church was. Over and over again, the Bible tells us that they're in one accord. They're in one accord. They're in one accord. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God at Pentecost. And can I tell you what? You can't help but be unified when we're filled with the Spirit of God. All right, number four. Unity through doctrinal purity. Unity through doctrinal purity. And can I say something? This is ever so important. And you know what? I feel like I'm going to race on this, so somehow I'm going to tag this on to next Sunday, all right? And, and, and the reason I'm going to do that because I know it'll take me 20 minutes plus to get through this point, and you've been so wonderful and patient, and you showed up, which was awesome, and uh, I think that's enough to chew on, all right? So let's, uh, let's, let's cut it off right there. What have we learned this morning? We learned in the church that God calls us to unity. We learned that that unity comes around the purpose of God, not our purpose, by the way. You know where disunity comes? When you get the, a different purpose than God gets for the church. When, when you, in your mind, have, all right, this is why we're here. We're here for a social uh, time. We're here for just this or this. No, no, we're here for the fellowship of the gospel. And God is calling us to that. And you say, Pastor, I'm not there yet. You know, all of us have needs in growing in this area of being bold in the gospel. And yet we ought to see that that's where God's trying to get us. All right, that, that, that focus of reaching the world. Jesus Christ was uh, willing to leave the splendor of heaven to come to provide this so great salvation. What am I willing to do to provide that good news to others? Unity and purpose. Unity as a people. Oh, what a blessing. 
What a blessing. I thank God for every one of you. I thank God for your uh, uh, desire to be a part of a place where Jesus Christ is exalted and all are welcome. And we're not going to brush away sin. We're going to get into that next Sunday. We're not going to minimize doctrine. By the way, doctrine's the glue that holds everything together. And doctrine's what's being attacked today. And doctrine has to be adhered to. I've got several illustrations I want to share with you that have come up even this week. But then we just have to endeavor to keep it. That's the plea. Work at it. Just work at it. It's worth it that the church would have this unified heart unified mind. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.